The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. I got to tell you, it is so great to have a church full of people again. You know, this last year has been kind of crazy. You know, you... Looking back at what we've been through over the past 18 months, if you look back at it now and and kind of stack it up together, it's a little crazy. I mean, do you remember back in March when we were all locked down? When travel stopped, jobs were lost, suddenly uh, children and teachers at the same time had to learn how to do online learning on the fly, and a whole lot of parents suddenly became at-home school teachers as well. Right? You had uh, churches closed. People living in nursing homes were restricted to waving at their loved ones through a glass window. You had elderly people isolating, waiting for a vaccine. Weddings were moved. Graduations were canceled. Proms didn't happen. Vacations postponed. And so many people sick. I mean, you could look back, and I, I don't know, is this the worst year of the last decade? Yeah, I think everybody would agree with that. What about, was it the worst year of your last 25? You know, the way people talk about these last few months, they use so many superlatives, right? The widest, the broadest, the deepest, the longest, the worst. It makes you wonder, could, could this have been like the worst year ever? Is that possible? Do you know there's actually people who study such things as that, who try to determine what the worst possible year is in history? There's a a Harvard professor named uh, Michael McCormick who argues that this past year that we've just lived through, even with a pandemic on the rampage, even with with cataclysmic problems with the weather and natural, natural sort of events, even though there's been a humongous change in lifestyle and the way we work and the way we live that no one could have ever envisioned. Professor McCormick said 2020 that doesn't even hold a candle next to the worst year in history. It's not even in contention. He maintains that the worst year in history was 536 A.D., 536 A.D. In fact, uh, he makes the point that 536 A.D. was not just the worst year in history, but it began the period of time which would have been just the worst time to be alive that we know about. Makes 2020 look almost tame. So, again, first year, worst year in history, he says, is 536 A.D., and what had happened that year uh, was an eruption, a volcanic eruption, a huge one in Iceland. Now, the people of the civilized world had no idea that that had happened, of course. You can go back now and take core samples of the ice fields and find out that this is, this is exactly what happened. A huge volcano in Iceland, and it spewed up all of this ash into the air that turned it like a fog or a cloud that kept the sun from coming through at its normal brightness and intensity. And so what it did was this... This volcanic eruption meant an 18-month period of near darkness during the day for Europe, for the Middle East, and for parts of Asia. Imagine what that must have been like. 
we actually have records from people that lived then. Like one man who lived in 536 AD was a historian in the, in the Byzantine, the Eastern Roman Empire. Uh, his name was Procopius. This is what he wrote. The sun gave forth its light without brightness, like the moon during the whole year. He recounted that it always seemed like the moon, was, excuse me, that the sun was in an eclipse. Or a, a Roman politician, a guy by the name of Cassiodorus, he wrote this. The sun had a bluish color, the moon no luster, the seasons seemed to be all jumbled together. And he said this, we marvel to see no shadows of our bodies at noon. The sun was so weakly shining, you go outside at 12 o'clock noon and it won't make a shadow. Almost seemed a little creepy. But more than creepy or odd, the big problem was because of this cloud of ash, Because the sun couldn't shine as brightly through as it normally does, what had ended up happening was the coldest summer, and in fact, leading into the coldest decade of the past 2,300 years. So crops failed. And in an agriculturally based economy like that, that lives hand to mouth, you know what happens when all the crops fail across the continent. Famine, hunger on a massive scale. You know, even worse than that, 536 and the years following these cold summers, it got even worse because in uh, 541, while the whole continent was still racked by this famine, well, in 541, the bubonic plague came up from Egypt, hit Europe, the Eastern Empire, and consider this, the bubonic plague in that year, in 541, killed half of the citizens, half of the population of the Eastern Roman Empire. That would be like today, 150 million Americans dying. 150 million. Can you imagine what that would do to society? Can you imagine what that would do to to everything about our lives? Nothing would be the same. And, And then it got worse. After the bubonic plague, there were two more volcanic eruptions in 541 and 547. It ended up making Europe having to face economic collapse that lasted for a century. 100 years of recession. Now, imagine you were not part of the half that were dead and you actually lived through that. What what is going through your mind when it seems like the whole world has turned against you? I got to imagine that you might have been tempted to think Well, if God exists, sure seems like he's punishing us. Or if if that's not it, well then, he must be checked out completely. He must not care. Yeah, so I'm willing to concede that 536 was way worse than 2020, even though I still don't like to wear a mask on an airplane. I'm willing to give it that 536 seems much, much worse. But I tell you what. Whether you live in 536 or you live through 2020, um, when things that you counted on suddenly become unreliable, well, you have questions, right? Maybe in your life it's not that the sun has failed to shine, but maybe there are things that you've always counted on that suddenly seem unreliable. I mean, maybe it's your, your work or your career and the security that came with it, and all of a sudden it seems way less certain than it used to. 
Or maybe it's the relationship that you always thought was just going to hold you tightly together, but now it feels like you're trying to hold it together and you're just hanging on by a thread. Or maybe it's your health that you've always just taken for granted and all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's not there anymore or you're having to watch a loved one go through it. Yeah, when things that were certain become unstable, we can maybe feel like the people of 536 A.D. and think, you know, God, he's either punishing us or, or he's just checked out and he just doesn't care. I mean, when we face the worst parts of this broken world, it's easy for us to ask the question, I mean, is God for us or is he against us? Is he on our side or isn't he? Well, you know, in our reading for today, from the book of Romans, Paul uses the Spirit's words to remind us that whether God is for us or against us cannot be determined by looking at the present circumstances of our life. That's, that's not how to find out if God is on your side or not, is to find out how broken your life is or isn't. Instead, Paul offers us a profound answer meant for people who sometimes have to live through the worst years. His point is that God is for us, and he's offered us proof, proof that, that can make that case regardless of what we have to go through. All right, listen to what Paul wrote. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Right, this is what Paul's argument is here, right? He's saying, if you find yourself in the worst year in history or just in the worst time of your life, remember, remember that no matter how your circumstances look, God is for us. He's on our side, and here's the proof. God didn't fail to sacrifice his son for you and for me. In other words, God look at us who are nothing but sinners, who deserve nothing from God, and yet God didn't spare his son but sent him to the cross that he might die to take away our sins to make us right again with God. God promises us that if you want to tell whether or not I'm on your side, look at the cross. I was willing to give up my greatest, my dearest, my most for you. I am all in for you. Never doubt it. Don't look at the circumstances in your life and wonder if God's on your side. Look at the cross where he proved it. And then Paul makes the point, he's like, what? and if God was willing to do that, if he was willing to give you his dearest and his greatest, well, then do you really think he's holding out on you on the little things in life? Really? I mean, if he was willing to give you everything, God's not holding out on you now. So his point is that means if right now you are facing the worst of times, you can know for certain it's not because God's punishing you. It's not because God is checked out or doesn't care. Instead, God's making you a promise. Promise. So when Paul wrote these words to the Romans, he was writing in the Greek language. And uh, Paul uses a Greek word that's really rare, but really cool. It's, it's a word that means to, uh, to be overwhelmingly and completely victorious. 
to be overwhelmingly and completely victorious. It's a rare word, but he says that's what we are. He says that in in the face of all the worst things in our life, we are super victors. We are uber conquerors. We are overwhelming winners. How? He says, through him who loved us. All right, so Paul's saying, okay, the sun doesn't shine for 18 months. We are super victors. Sickness and sorrow has come into your life. We are super victors. Inflation, skimpflation, isolation, we are super victors. How? Paul says, through him who loved us. All right, now here's his point. Because of what God did for us in Jesus, we are super victors over any of the worst things in this world precisely because this broken world is not is not where we place our hopes. This broken world is not where we place our hopes. Now here's the thing. If you're a person who thinks that that this world is all there is, that you live, you die, and then nothing, if you think that, I, I can imagine how hard the past 18 months have been. I mean, when the only world you hope for is falling down around you. If you're a person that thinks there's just this life, you live, you die, and then nothing, I can imagine how hard it is if sickness drags down a loved one or or sin pulls apart a family or tragedy knocks at your door. I can understand. But here's the thing that super victors know. There is more than just this world, and there is more than just this life. And what Jesus did for us on the cross makes that better world and that triumphant life yours, and it makes it mine. So here's the deal. You might be going through a really hard time right now. You might be sitting in the middle of this broken world, and you can't even, you can't even see past the jagged edges of the broken parts of your life. Well, Jesus comes, and he lifts our chin, and he points us to a time and a place where everything broken in your life will be fixed, when every point of pain will cease, where every bit of guilt will be gone, where every bit of darkness will be banished. He points us to the super victory that's waiting for us at the end of this this broken road that we travel, and he promises us soon. Soon. See, uh, super victors, they don't have trouble-free lives. We can get caught up in the worst year or the worst times. But what super victors do is they can look past their present to see the future promises of God. And we can fix our hope not on this world getting better, because I hate to tell you this world is not getting better, but we can hope for a better world yet to come. We put our hopes not in our lives where everything is right, We put our hopes in a triumphant life when everything in our life is made right once again. Then we can have hope, we can have strength, we can have victory regardless of our present circumstances. So 536 AD, perhaps the worst year in human history. Um, But you might wonder, what happened to the church? during this worst year 
in human history. And in fact, you know, that, again, as Professor McCormick would say, it wasn't just that 536 was so bad, but it led to 100 years of trouble and sorrow. The sixth century is one of, probably one of the most awful times to have lived. So how did the church do during the sixth century? I mean, at a time when, uh, you know, well, what do people do today when bad things happen? What are they tempted to do? If they're Christian, they're tempted to blame God and walk away from him, right? Society right now is faced with the worst year in, I don't know, my lifetime, I suppose. And how has the world reacted? Well, people are sometimes tempted to walk away from God. What was it like during the worst century in which to live? That's pretty interesting because, you know, here you think about it. During a century with so much toil and trouble, a time when it seemed like God was absent, Christianity preached a God far from absent, a God who became human and got down into our brokenness with us to raise us up out of it. Christianity pointed to a cross and Jesus there and said, that's proof that God is for us, not against us, regardless of your circumstances. And they pointed a broken world to the promise of a world that would be one day restored. And the church took broken people and pointed them to a cross-broken Savior. And the promise he makes that, that his love is going to take us from this world of sin to a home where the worst things will never happen again. And you know what happened during that worst century in which to live? The gospel extended across all of Europe, claiming disciples for Christ along the way. The gospel was extended all the way to the east, to the land of Tibet, in fact. Why? Well, because we preach the truth that God is for us, and the proof of it isn't a trouble-free life. That wouldn't have worked in the 6th century any better than it would work with you and me today. But we preach the truth that God is for us, and the proof is found on the cross, where we can see without any doubt, no matter what circumstances we face, God is for you. So whether you find yourself in the worst year ever or just the worst part of your life, regardless of trouble or hardship or persecution or danger or nakedness or sword, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are super victors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God grant it. Amen. Amen.